our lives are marked with calling, calling from a great God who chooses to use us to further his kingdom. Throughout history, we see people who have said yes to this calling and in doing so have been used by God in incredible eternal ways. In the Bible, we see many examples of people running toward the calling on their lives. However, we also read of people who ran away from God. Which one are you? Do your fears, your struggles, your disappointments in people tempt you to turn and flee from the very mission that God has for you? Perhaps you've even forgotten what you yourself have been saved from. Our God is big and his love for us is infinite. May we not run from him and his plans, but instead embrace the calling on our lives and take this infinite love to a lost and dying world. All right, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Yeah, what a great service so far. Can we just thank those who've been involved in so many ways? Such a good... And I can tell you are awake and alive. I love it. Thanks for your enthusiasm in the room today. It's been awesome. Just to get the start of the service, I should just pray and let us go. And we'll be good. Because it's already been such a great time through so many different things. I love the palm parade. We're grateful that most of you did not get whacked by a palm. So we're glad. Hopefully it's just a, a minor flesh wound, if so. But uh, a great job for our kids on that. Hey, I want to show you a picture. This was me and my date at the Light and Power Prom on Friday night. We had uh, such a great time getting to pose with Ellie. Uh, it was awesome. So uh, within that, I just wanted to give you an update and just thank you again on behalf of all the Light and Power team. They stopped counting once they hit 435 people that were here. And just a great, great event um, in so many ways. But I want you to know, beyond even just the sheer number of people, what Jeff and Kathy wanted me to express was not only their excitement about seeing so many families with either kids or even uh, different adults or parents with disabilities have such a great experience, uh, not connected to any church at all, but they just are grateful. Remember, that was really in large part to your giving back in November and December with our Advent Conspiracy and those dollars really being put to such great use and such a great encouragement to so many. So thanks again for your giving back then, your generosity, and it continues to reap just great benefits for the kingdom. Well, we have a big week this week as we get ready. Today, Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and we see that things changed real quickly over the course of that week. And within that, we are going to, on Friday night, celebrate what we call Good Friday. Good Friday can be confusing because we are celebrating someone's death. And that is a weird thing to wrap your head around. Every time I'm involved in a Good Friday service, I talk about the tension that is in that reality, but a good tension to live in because we know that Jesus' death brings us life. And so therefore, for good reason, we call it Good Friday. That's this Friday night, 7 o'clock. Our, our promotion is said to 7 to 8.30. It'll just be 7 to 8, an hour-long service. Love to have you join us and be a part of that remembrance of what Jesus did on our behalf. And then next Sunday, Easter Sunday, you have in your Trinity this week, invite cards like we had last week. I would just encourage you, like we've said, hey, prayerfully consider who could you give one of these to? Who's someone in your world that you'd say, hey, would you just like to go to church with me on Easter? And like we said, if that person or people say yes, go to whatever service that they're going to go to. That would be your number one priority, even if it's different from where when you normally go. But if you have no particular service you need to be to, I keep telling you, cinnamon rolls at 745, that is not a bad 
bad gig. So we would love to see some of you from this service create some space for guests at this hour. This is usually a service that people will come to. And so just think about that, anticipate how that might work with the rest of your plans next Sunday. But let's be thoughtful and see how God might want to just create some great entry points for people in our lives through this wonderful thing we get to celebrate of Jesus' resurrection. In your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these if you want to get those out. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4, we are finishing a series today as we have been looking through this book four chapters long, four weeks long. And we have just been, it has been a challenging book. We'll just put it that way, rightfully so. <clears throat> it's a really interesting thing when you get brought face to face with what not to do. For some of us, we have thought over the years that there's really not much value in a bad example. But I would tell you there is great value in knowing what not to do. So no matter how that affects your life, maybe it's the parents that you were raised under, maybe it's uh, different people you've watched on the job, maybe it's uh, friends that you've watched just kind of make really poor choices, man, you can learn a ton from a bad example. And so I would just encourage you from this book of Jonah, that's what we've been doing week over week is really realizing, look at the subtitle, how to keep hating your enemies. Obviously, that's not what God wants us to do, but yet that's what Jonah keeps doing. And so it's been a challenging book. And like we've said from the very beginning, the goal of this uh, series has not been to look out windows, but to look in the mirror. And what we are, chances, uh, week over week, we keep seeing traces of Jonah in the mirror. And the great news is, and we're going to see today, God is so patient with Jonah. Praise God for his patience and his kindness towards us. That he knows we don't get it yet. He knows that we're on a path to really being able to understand his heart for all people, even the people you don't love, he loves. So how is it that we can get a heart that matches his? This is a quick recap of what we have been doing. Week one, we saw that Jonah runs and God pursues. The funny thing is what we have always connected to this story, if you're aware of the Jonah story, has always been this big fish. But if Jonah obeys, you would have thought this story is more about Jonah and his camel because his camel would have taken him 550 miles to Assyria rather than on the path 2,400 miles or 2,500 miles the opposite direction in a boat. And so we saw that God got a hold of him from the very beginning. Week two, Jonah prays, God delivers. We talked about the idea that Jonah gets swallowed up by this fish, and we talked about that. There's probably no other than a supernatural explanation for what happened there. And we're not surprised, because the God of the Bible does supernatural things all the time. But Jonah's three days in this fish where he had said before, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh, he has a change of heart. Near-death experiences tend to do that for us. And he realizes, I don't think I'd rather die. I'll do it, God. And God has this fish spit him up on the shore, interestingly enough, facing the very direction he was supposed to go initially. And then he begins to set a course. Last week, week three, we talked about that Jonah preaches and Nineveh repents. We said it was a wild story. Jonah goes into this massive city called Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He goes into the city and he preaches probably the shortest sermon ever, eight words long. Mine's going to be longer than that today, just so you know. Eight words long. And this whole city, from the king to the livestock, repent. Amazing, just something that nothing in scripture ever happens like that again. And this happens in the city of Nineveh with a reluctant prophet who doesn't even wanna be there. God does amazing things in these people's hearts. And that's where we left it off last week. God relents. He does not bring the calamity he was planning on bringing because of the people's repentance. 
Now, as we set up today, this is where we're going. We're going to see this final chapter. And I'm just going to tell you in advance, this last chapter is a hard pill to swallow. Because you're going to see something that typically in our Christian subculture, we get all geeked up about. When you see any kind of repentance, just citywide or region-wide, you just are amazed. And we get all excited about it. Jonah gets incredibly frustrated. And we're going to see his incredibly calloused heart towards what God wanted to do, what God chose to do in forgiving these people rather than bringing judgment. For us as a church, the reason we're looking at the book of Jonah, especially on the path towards Resurrection Sunday, is that we're a people who believe that we've been called to live lives rooted in Jesus reaching our worlds. And so what we're trying to do week over week, day over day, is to develop the same kind of heart that God has for the people in our worlds, people that we're called to be his ambassadors towards. So that's why Jonah's helping us. It's helping us see where the places where still yet we don't get it, we're, we're obstinate, we're resistant, and God is saying, see it through my lens, see the way not only I've loved you, but I love everyone. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. Here's our now what statement. We do one of these weekly. It's more than just like a summary idea. What am I supposed to do today with this week with this truth? And today it's choose to selflessly love people over your own desire for comfort. We're going to see how Jonah once again negatively illustrates that for us. Let's dive in in your notes. Number one, you can have attitudes and perspectives that simply aren't right. I know, shocker, right? Most of us are like, are you kidding? I'm always right. You can have attitudes and perspectives that simply aren't right. I remember having a conversation with a guy one time and I asked him, why do you believe that? Or why is that your opinion? And I loved his answer. It was so good. He's like, Todd, if I had a different opinion, I would change it. <laughs> of course, I believe in what I just said because it's what my opinion is. Until I hear something better, I'm gonna stick with it. And I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty logical. That's why you and I do have the opinions that we have. And what I want you to see today from the word of God is that when we look in the mirror, when we see what God is seeing, we're gonna realize, you know, maybe I'm seeing it wrong. And that's the kind of humility I know we need to have. John Ch Jonah chapter four, verse one. Here's the context. God has chosen to relent and not bring judgment on Nineveh. That's what just ended chapter three. Here we are, chapter four, verse one. But, jo but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I, still, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Powerful, powerful passage. I knew we were getting here all throughout this study. I knew about chapter four. I knew Jonah was gonna lay all his cards out. God, I am so mad because you're acting like who you are. You are a gracious, compassionate God, and I knew you'd do this, right? That's, that's his big beef with God. Let me tell you even initially, let's look at what I'll call some graphic language at the beginning. Here's what I mean by that. The way that this NIV text said, that you just saw, it, it said this seemed very wrong, literally is it was evil to him. Jonah, it was evil that God had mercy on these evil people. That's the way he saw it. Forgiving the Assyrians was actually construed as being evil by Jonah. That's powerful. When you just stop and just let that percolate for just a little bit, God being God was evil in being kind. 
The phrase, he became angry, literally is, it burnt him. I grew up in a home with a mom who would say, well, that burns my britches. I don't know if you ever heard that. Really lame. But that's a home I grew up in. And, uh, and so I was thinking about that, and I go, that's exactly what happened. Because God was kind, it burned Jonah's britches. He was really mad. He was upset about it, really hot about this whole thing. Then to see him admit his heart, that's what really, when I read this text, I, I appreciate, number one, the honesty and the transparency of it. Man, it is hard to read. He ran the opposite way from Nineveh to try to avoid this very thing from happening. He lays the cards out. That's exactly what was in my heart. Why to go the opposite direction in a boat when I should have gotten on a camel across the desert. I knew you could do this. And I was trying to do everything I could to avoid that from happening. And here's the interesting thing. Jonah was never really worried about the people. I, I would have thought that. I would have thought Jonah would have been concerned of going, I mean, the Assyrians, we've said, already have been sending these marauding bands against the northern kingdom of Israel, maybe even against some of his own people, his own family. I would have been concerned for my life walking through the city of Nineveh. Jonah has no concern for that. Jonah has no concern about the people ganging up on him, no concern about them turning away from his message. His concern is that God is going to keep being God. He's going to keep being gracious. He's going to keep being slow to anger. He's going to be compassionate. So here's the interesting thing. Jonah had a great theology. He knew that God was in the mercy business. And he was so convinced of the goodness of God, he knew that there could always be a possibility of the people repenting and then God doing what God does towards repentant people. Here's in your notes. Jonah's theology was not the problem. His callous heart was. Jonah's theology was not the problem. His callous heart was. His theology on every point is accurate. It's just that, God, I don't want them to get to experience your kindness and your mercy because of who they've been and the judgment they deserve. So look at the final words of this prayer. Look at what he says. Lord, take my life because it is better for me to die than to, and here's my paraphrase, than to live in a world where the Ninevites can be spared what they deserve. Again, that would be really hard for many of us to imagine. How can you be so against a person or a group of people? So cold, so callous towards people who are obviously even repentant. He's not even talking about the Ninevites before repentance. These people have shown, God, we give up. And remember we said last week, repentance is more than feeling bad. They demonstrated it with a change of action. Repentance means to turn and go a new direction. And that's what they did. From the king to the livestock, everyone demonstrated, God, we are sorry, we have done wrong, we're going to go in a new way. That's the group of people that Jonah can't stand, even in their repentant state, that they would be forgiven. Like we said earlier today, these are the stories we get all geeked up about. These are the kind of stories we turn into movies these are the kind of stories we get people up on stage and we want to interview them, how horrible they were, how great God was, and how there was this new change in their hearts. That's the kind of stuff we'd love to hear in our Christian subculture. But I want to do something. I want to be fair to Jonah a little bit. Remember this story is a little bit more than just simply someone else's story far, far away. This story might be a little bit more accurate to the idea of the drunk driver who killed your wife and your daughter. And that drunk driver goes to prison and through incredible prison ministries comes to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and that drunk driver is going to be in heaven with you forever. That's a little bit of a different posture now. 
And that might be a little bit more accurate to the wound and the deep frustration and anger that he had toward the Ninevites. So we want to be fair a little bit in this passage and not just, again, turn Jonah into a whipping post. He might have had good reason to be so angry at this group of people, but God, God asked this amazing question. This is what I really want you to see today. I want you to see God's posture. This is what he says. It would be so easy to just be so irritated. Jonah is not just any Israelite. Jonah is a prophet. Jonah's been called to be the spokesperson of God to the people. That's an incredibly big deal, and a very small group of people do that. So here is one of God's own prophets who won't be what God called him to be. Your job is to tell the people what I tell you and not to go to Tarshish. But he's rebellious. He's doing his own thing. That would be, and now that you've seen all these things transpire, man, if it's you or me, we just want to backhand him. Like, what is your problem? But I want you to see God's goodness. In kindness and with a question, not a judgmental statement, God asks his prophet, is it right for you to be angry? Man, parents in the room, this is a great parenting lesson from our good, good father as he talks to Jonah, his son. We're irritated with our kids, irritated with the attitudes that they have. Man, so many times we just want to launch in and just make it all right and show them how wrong they are. But look at this parenting technique. Is it right for you to be angry? You're really mad about this, but do you have any cause to be? Is it a good reason that you're frustrated about this outcome? What I love all throughout this book, we've seen it again and again, God is out to reclaim Jonah's heart. Think of all the other prophets he could have sent. Think of the fact that God, Yahweh, didn't even need to send anybody. He could have himself shown up among this group of people to the Ninevites and said, hey, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to bring judgment. Could have done all those things. He chooses instead to send the unwilling one. Why? I don't know if the book of Jonah is so much about the Ninevites as much as it's about Jonah. Jonah's got a heart that just refuses to understand the plot refuses to get on God's page about how God so loved the world. Scarlett did a great job saying that verse today. Thank you. And, and that's, that's what is true about God's attitude and God's uh, posture towards everybody, not just the people we like. Question for you today about which of your attitudes is God asking the question today, is it right for you to be angry? Are you so driven by your pursuit of happiness? My just goal in life, I may or may not verbalize it, but my goal in life is my happiness. If you're so driven by that, that you become angry with God when your happiness isn't achieved, is it right for you to be angry? That might be God's question for you today. Are you so consumed with bitterness towards those who have wounded you that you're angry that they don't seem to be getting what they deserve? That's kind of the, the, the issue at hand in the book of Jonah. Question, is it right for you to be angry? Have you developed an attitude that some people's sins are just so much worse than your own? And you're angry when you have to be in their presence. Simple question, is it right for you to be angry? For some of us in this series, this is probably the most important thing you're going to hear over these four weeks is God, I have been angry about things that really, really 
I have no place being angry about. This is how a loving and kind and compassionate father brings this kind of question to his son, and I'm just so impressed by it, so grateful for his kindness versus his sternness. Number two in your notes today, your comfort can become your main pursuit. Your comfort can become your main pursuit. We're reading on Jonah chapter four, verse five. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Okay, uh, like I said, this, this is, uh, he, he's just being Jonah at this point. He's not changing his ways at all. This is the part, this first part of what we read is super fascinating to me. Jonah's not quite sure what's gonna happen to the city. And, and here's the interesting thing. So here's what he does. He, he goes, I'm gonna go out, I'm not gonna stay with the Ninevites. I want nothing to do with that. I'm gonna go outside of the city, east of the city. I'm gonna build a, a shelter, kind of like what spectators do. I'm gonna build this little house, this, this place. I'm gonna position myself towards the city and I wanna wait and see what happens. I keep thinking in his mind, well, hey, if these guys waffle from their repentance, God might still zap them. I would love to see that. (laughs) And you're just like, wow. Because here's the thing. Nowhere do we read in the text that God says anything other than, you did what I asked you to do. You can go ahead and go home. So rather than be elated that this massive city has responded in turning around, recognizing the God of Israel is the God that they need to get right with. No, that's not even close on his radar. Rather than just saying, you know what? (laughs) I hate the way this turned out, but my job here is done. I'm gonna kick the dust off my sandals and I'm headed home. He doesn't go home. He sets up a shelter so he can watch and hopefully wait and see Nineveh still get it in the end. Wow, it just doesn't stop for him. And so God does this thing along the way. This is what is impressive to me. He provides another material example or another prop. We talked about the one in chapter, at the end of chapter one, he provided a huge prop in that of this massive fish that swallows him up. And now he provides a new prop, and this prop is this big leafy plant. And what we read in the text is it apparently sprung up overnight to full maturity, and then in the same kind of way, it's gonna go away overnight. Now, those of you who have been gardening for a while, you're going to say today, Todd, there is nothing I have ever planted that went in the ground and came up in full maturity the next day. And I'm saying, you're right, but we're talking about God the gardener, not you. And and here's the way I think you should see it. Here's the way I think Jonah understood it. God supernaturally provided this plant with this incredible full mature shade overnight. By the way, it's not hard for him to imagine that God is able to do the supernatural once you've spent three days in a fish. This is not a stretch for him. Oh, I was actually much more comfortable than that situation was. 
So remember, this is the same God we're talking about who all through scripture, he heals the blind and the lame. He raises the dead. He feeds thousands of people from one boy's lunch. The supernatural happens all over scripture. So this is not a challenge when you're trying to think through, well, how did that thing really happen? Yeah, God made it grow quick overnight. And very interestingly enough, it's going to say in the text, and God also made it die quickly overnight. So God is all involved in this. We aren't going to have to worry about, well, how if you just get the soil right and just the weather and how things grow? None of that. God did this amazingly through his ways of breaking his own physical laws to provide something that we would rightly call a miracle. Jonah's response to this miraculously shady plant, Jonah was very happy. Now, I want you to see this. It's not a bad thing that Jonah was happy about the plant. I would think it'd be very odd if he wasn't. We know how angry he is. Even then, he could have still been grumpy. But no, God provided this amazing shade for him overnight. And he's like, this is awesome. And we would go, yeah, if that happened to me, I'd probably agree. That's a pretty awesome thing. I'd be excited about that. That would be the appropriate response. Here's some of the times you feel, maybe not on the miraculous level, but you feel pretty happy about circumstances. You might show up late to a worship service, especially this one, and, and you're really worried because someone might be in your seat. Let's just get over that. I know you have a seat. I stand up here every week, and I know where you sit. And by the way, I sit right over there in this service. So no one's throwing stones. Okay, it's no problem. By the way, just be sure, there is not a nameplate, though, under your seat so that you realize that. But, but, but you walk in and you're late, but your seat's still there and you're like, oh, that's great. And you're happy about that. That's great. You're coming to a meeting here at church for some event that you're gonna be a part of or some planning team and, and you're already running late, but there's a front row parking place and you're not gonna be any more late because you have to park out in the boondocks. You're happy about that. That's appropriate. Or, or maybe it's this idea you kind of think about different things uh, of how things go. And, it, and when it comes to a, a speaker on a Sunday morning, there's been something during the week that you were wondering about, you were maybe praying about, you saw in scripture it was confusing, whatever it is. And just that very same week, the person who's standing up here talks about that issue and you walk away going, man, that really helped. It brought clarity to something I was confused about. You're happy about that, rightly so. You're being someone who's very um, thoughtful and intentional in your relational world. And what you're finding is the people that you're talking to, the people you've been praying for, they're actually interested. They're interested in knowing your story. They're interested in knowing more about this Jesus that has changed and transformed your life. That makes you happy and rightly so. If your response to any of those things was anything less than being happy, I'd be concerned about, man, you're a really a glass half empty kind of person. Those are good things, and that's the appropriate response, is to be happy when those things go your way. But as we read on, we find that Jonah's happiness is short-lived, because the reason for his happiness, the fact that God provided this miraculous shade, is now just as quickly taken away. Here's the question, what would be the appropriate response when your source of comfort is taken away? I think you'd be bummed. I think you'd be disappointed, and I think those are appropriate responses. But what I want you to see today is that's a long cry from Jonah's response. He wants to die. It's over. I can't live on a planet where I don't have supernatural shade. You know, that, that's the extreme. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to see, this is powerful. I want you to see the parallels 
between the earlier scenario with God relenting with the Ninevites and now this scenario, because they're meant to be identical in, in the way they're set up. Jonah, first off, is in despair because of God's mercy towards the Ninevites, and he comes to the same conclusion of, hey, I can't live on a planet where the Ninevites could be forgiven. God, just take me now. God asked this, this question as a result, is it right for you to be angry? Second scenario, God provides this amazing overnight shade, then takes it away. Jonah comes to the same conclusion, it's better for me to die than have to sit here and watch, which by the way, he didn't have to do, what's gonna happen to Nineveh in the sun and the wind. Interestingly enough and powerfully, God asks the same question, is it right for you to be angry? See the patience, see the kindness of God. Amazing parallel experiences that have two incredibly different issues at hand. That's really what I want you to see. Jonah's response is the same both times, but I want you to think about who's affected. On the first hand, this mega capital city of the Assyrian Empire is now going to be saved. They're not going to have God's judgment rain down on them and Jonah's ticked. Massive amounts of people, 100,000 people whose lives are gonna be affected, Jonah's mad. Then God provides a shade, takes it away, and who's affected? Only Jonah. But I equally am as mad as I was about the other situation. And what we see is Jonah has some significant problems related to the way he wants to grasp his own comfort, about the way he wants to see how God should be fair according to his version of fairness. At the end of the day, what we'd say, they both have actually something very much in common. They both, both of these responses flow out of the heart that is very self-centered and focused primarily on what Jonah believes to be fair and what Jonah prefers for himself. Look in your notes. When your focus is on you, you will value your version of fairness more than you will value how that fairness impacts other people. When your focus is on you, you will value your version of fairness more than you will value how that fairness impacts other people. Here's another way of saying that, and I learned this a while back, is that when we're the ones who are facing some sort of problem, we're the ones facing kind of a degree of judgment for something we've done, it's amazing how deeply we believe in mercy. We're convinced mercy is a huge deal and everyone ought to get some especially me, because you're staring at me right now and I've done something wrong. But it's fascinating when you change the scenario and now I'm the one who's been wronged, it's amazing how important justice is. Mercy's important to me when I'm the one under the gun, but justice is what I value when someone's wounded me. When my focus is on me, it shifts those two realities, just like it did for Jonah. Also in your notes, when your focus is on you, you will value your comfort at a disproportionate level that begins to assume that you're entitled. You're entitled to something that God was never bound to provide for you. You become entitled to think that God owes you. Here's a way of seeing that. Often, I've done a lot of counseling over my years as a pastor talking with people, and when I talk about people who are deeply disappointed or talk to them or have great despair, one of the, time, the questions, not always, depends on the situation, but sometimes the question that I'll ask is simply this. Is the thing that you're struggling with, is that a biblically um, appropriate expectation that you have? The fact that you don't have this, the fact that that happened to you, the fact that you don't get to enjoy or the fact that you have to deal 
Is that a biblically um, accurate expectation that you have? Because so many times what we do is we put God on the hook for not providing X or for not taking away Y when God never promised he would do that. We've made him bound to something we think we're entitled to rather than saying, let's look at the word of God and see what does this book tell me I should expect? How does this book inform my attitudes and my expectations? We get off course. In your pursuit of your own happiness and sense of fairness and comfort, when that overrides everything else, you will really struggle with those previous four examples that I gave when they don't go your way. You'll respond in inappropriate distress because your comfort has become more important than your mission. Let me read that again. You'll respond in inappropriate distress because your comfort has become more important than your mission. We have to always guard ourselves against that. Some of you were here for the second message I ever gave at Trinity Church. I was candidating on two separate Sundays, and the second Sunday, I talked about a life-saving station. I gave a long illustration and provided pictures like these. And back on the, West Co- or on the East Coast, I'm sorry, before there was ever a Coast Guard or some kind of government-sanctioned group, there were individuals who lived on these shorelines, and what they would do is they'd organize themselves. When there was a major shipwreck not far from their coast, they would get in those boats, they would put on those uniforms, and they'd go out to sea specifically to do what we call life-saving. They had a life-saving station, and that's what they existed for, is to rescue people who were a part of a shipwreck. Great story. The problem is, like the illustration goes, those life-saving stations have actually become resorts. And it's a powerful testimony to us that when we miss the plot, when we miss the mission, how quickly we move to comfort. How quickly we say, God, I don't want to go out into the wet, cold waters. I don't want to put myself in a situation that's gonna be challenging. I don't want to get into people's mess. And the more I do that, the more I'm also saying, God, I really want what's comfortable and I really want the kind of resort life I've kind of always wanted. And it's fascinating. Every single person in this room and every single church always lives on the wire of this becoming our future. God's called us clearly to be a group of people who are about life-saving, not about building a resort. We have to keep that central. We have to keep it focused. Finally, let me show you what Jesus modeled. He modeled this for us. He modeled that mission is more important than comfort. Look how it says in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, like we'll celebrate this Friday, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because of what happens on Sunday. Now watch verse three. Consider him. Think about him. Look at his example who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He is our example, mission over comfort, mission over self-entitlement, mission over fairness. That's how Jesus lived. Look how it says in Ephesians 5, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, how? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
We obviously can't live the life of Jesus apart from his indwelling spirit to do so. But I want you to keep hearing this is what scripture tells us is that we're called to live out this mission. We're called to join in what Jesus begun when he came to earth, when he lived, when he died, when he rose from the dead, he entrusted that mission to his disciples. Not just those 12, but to us today, 2,000 years later. That's our calling and that's what's so exciting to get to live in that reality. Finally today, number three, God's grace is meant to be dispensed, not hoarded. God's grace is meant to be dispensed, not hoarded. Jonah 4, verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. You did nothing to provide for it. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? These are the very last words of the book of Jonah. Simply about God explaining to Jonah that he has missed the plot. He says, Jonah, you're in deep despair because I took away your shade, but you have no concern over this group of people I was about to smite. But because they've repented, I'm not going to smite them anymore. And rather than joy, all you have is anger. You wanted to die because I relented from their destruction, and you wanted to die because I took away your shade. Those are not appropriate responses to either of those scenarios, and they're definitely out of whack concerning your value for people and my heart for them. By the way, I want you to note the descriptor that God uses of the Ninevites. Look what he simply says. 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Talk about just an, a powerful illustration of lostness, of just, I'm confused. I don't know what really matters. I don't know how to live. And out of that confusion had done, like we've said, horrible things that did deserve punishment. God was going to hold them accountable. But the reality was, is that's how they were living life, completely confused about what mattered. For some of us, we might say, Todd, that's not too off the mark from some of the people I do life with, some of the people in my relational world. And what I want you to hear today, in the same way that the Ninevites had not outsinned the mercy and grace of God, so have not the people that you're doing life with. No matter how far away they seem from him, God, God is the one pursuing. By the way, the Ninevites, we said it a minute ago, it wasn't that they weren't undeserving of condemnation. They truly, history tells us they had been a horrible group of people that God rightly was about to judge. But they were given the option, they were given the opportunity to repent, and that's what they did. This book closes, I think, in a very powerful way. We never know what Jonah does. It'd be wrong for us to read into it one way or the other. And in some ways, that kind of bums us out, because you were looking for the ending. You were looking for the fact that when God just kind of lays this all out there, Jonah says, God, I finally get it. I've been so wrong. I'm going to change my heart and attitude. There's no happy ending to this book, but I will say also, there's really no bad ending. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what did Jonah do next. I actually love the way the book of Jonah ends because I see myself in these pages. And it's begging the question for you. It's begging the question for me. Like this fork in the road, as we've been walking these four chapters through, it brings us up to a point of decision. Will you and I be a people who choose to say, God, I get it. I see your heart for people. I see that you love even those I don't. 
And I'm going to choose to join your mission. I'm going to choose to make what matters most matter most in my life. I'm going to major on the majors, not the minors. I'm going to join you. Or, God, they just don't deserve you giving them anything but what they deserve. I'm going to stay on that road. Rightly so, leaves us at a fork in the road, begging the question, how will you choose? And this would be my hope. This would be my plea to you today. Look in your notes. Choose to see God's mission to bring his message of mercy and grace to the world, to your world, who needs it so, and join him in that mission as his ambassador to your world. We said it this week. You have these cards for a reason. It's not to remind you when Easter services are. Let that be a first step. It might be like, oh, God, this is going to be weird, or God, I don't know how. Just start, hey, I'm going to Easter next, next week on Sunday. Would you like to join me? It's okay if they say no. Just know that they're invited. Let it be one small step towards becoming that ambassador to people in your world. And will we this week, will we choose to be a people who live selflessly, love selflessly, rather than a people who are primarily about our own comfort? My hope is that we'll choose the first. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a group of people who, as we've been walking these last four weeks through the book of Jonah, we keep looking in the mirror, we keep finding traces of him as that stare back at us. God, would you just convince us? Would you convince us of the fact that you want to use us, convince us of the fact that there are people in our lives, even those who we don't think deserve it, but God, you love them, you died for them, you rose for them. Would we get on board? God, would we see the value of loving people the way you do? I thank you so much for what the book of Jonah has surfaced for us to be able to talk about, to be able to consider, to be able to be confronted with. But I thank you so much for your gentleness. I thank you as we've seen today in chapter four, a simple question, is it right for you to be angry? God, thank you that in our pursuit, in our journey, God, towards being intentional influencers of living lives rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds, you're patient with us. I thank you so much for that. That gives us great hope. You may be here today and you would say, you know, Todd, I've actually never responded to this great news you've been talking about today, this, this thing that Jesus has done for us, for me. And I want to tell you, there's great news I have for you that you can actually do something about that right here. By A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believing that Jesus is the only savior available. That he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, he was raised supernaturally on the third day. Jesus is unlike anyone who has ever been or will be. Believe that what he did, he did for you. And C is choose. Choose to say today, it's not by works of religion, it's not by a merit system, it's not by how much good I can do to outweigh the scales of the bad. I simply need you, Jesus. I put my hope and my trust in what you've accomplished for me. And I wanna live this life living out of your example moving forward. You can make that decision today, right here, right now. There's no class to attend. And I pray that you would. I pray you take that first step towards God. Father, we love you. Would you help us this week be agents of your mercy and your grace to our world? We pray in his great name. Amen.